0: Thank you, Jesus. Welcome to everybody tonight. If you're a guest in service tonight, we welcome you. We're very glad to have you with us. If you're joining us online, wherever you may be, we welcome you as a part of this service. We pray that you're blessed wherever you are. And they're not here, but we give honor to our Bishop and Mother right tonight. Praise God. They are in. Uh, dallas texas with brother tom foster and uh, so they're ministering this weekend be home this week praise god if you're not standing and you are able to stand would you please stand praise god once again it has been a great great blessing to have brother hughes with us this weekend I am so thankful. I've heard of him for a long time. A couple of years ago at the store conference in Lake Charles was the first opportunity I ever had to hear him and was greatly impacted by his ministry. And I'm so thankful that God has made it possible for him to connect with us as a church. And we were greatly blessed last year and We have been greatly blessed and benefited again this year. Again, I'm assuming I didn't get confirmation, but I believe Baltimore is on with us tonight. So we welcome the Baltimore congregation as a part of this service this evening as well. So, Brother Hughes, thank you for your ministry. Thank you for being with us and come and share what the Lord has for us tonight.
1: you have your Bibles, so let's go to the book of John chapter 14. I'll begin reading in verse 1. John chapter 14. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And whether I go, you know, and the way you know. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not where thou goest. How can we know the way? Jesus said unto him, I am the way the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If you had known me, you should have known my Father also, and from henceforth you know him and have seen him. Philip said unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. Jesus said unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that has seen me has seen the Father, and how sayest thou then, show us the Father? Skip down to verse 12. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. And whosoever or whatsoever ye shall ask in my name... That will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Skipping down to verse number twenty three. Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. He that hath loved he that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings. And the words which you hear is not mine, but the Father's which sent me. These things have I spoken to you, being yet present with you. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things, bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you not as the world giveth, give I unto thee. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. And for a few moments tonight, I want to preach to you about the power of the Holy Ghost. The Lord bless you. You may be seated. Before I begin tonight, uh, let me say what an incredible honor it has been to be here this weekend. And uh, again, I hope and pray that Something I say to you tonight will help your life to change. I rarely preach this sermon. Uh, This is one of those things that I really have to feel God putting something on my heart before I will ever address this subject. The reason... I am hesitant to address it is because this sermon has the power to stir stir up some feelings in you that can cause you discomfort. And I do not preach to you tonight to do that, but I preach to you tonight to reveal to you that God has given you a tool to help you conquer every problem of life, no matter what it is. And that tool empowers us to become a child of God, holy, sanctified, delivered, our lives changed, a brand new person. The, Psalm, or the, the writer of Proverbs says in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 14, the spirit of a man can sustain his infirmity, but a wounded spirit, who can bear it? There's something about being wounded in life that causes us issues and problems. After discovering the story of David's life a few months back as I was studying his life, and if you were here Saturday morning, you heard me tell that story. If not, you need to listen to it because it's quite an incredible story. But after discovering the story of David's life and then reading Solomon's writings, it became obvious to me that a lot of the issues that Solomon addresses are issues that he observed being a child growing up in a palace. And these are... Statement he's making about his father David. And when he says a man's spirit can sustain his injuries, the the trauma of life, it can handle all that life produces. But a wounded spirit, it becomes impossible to bear. God doesn't intend for us to be victims of life. God intends for us to be victorious. Paul, writing to the church at Rome, lets them know that we are more than conquerors through Christ. There is nothing that can separate us from the love of Christ. There's not anything tall enough, deep enough, wide enough. There's not an angel. There's not powers. There's not principalities. There's not even in biblical cards, strings of attachment that can keep us from the presence of God. God has created a relationship that if you and I learn how to use it, we can overcome any adversity that life may bring to us. Some of these adversities of life are very difficult for us to understand. And I will share with you a story tonight that I rarely tell because It causes people to be uncomfortable. But if you'll listen to the story, it also has a promise of healing at the end. God never intended for our lives to be wrecked and our lives to be full of chaos and turmoil. That was never God's intent. God created a place that we call paradise for man to live in because he wanted Adam to have the best that Adam could possibly have but because of Adam's rejection of what God said and not listening to God and 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 maybe thinking that God wasn't really serious about his command he was willing to allow his wife to eat of a tree while he stands and watches and then partake Just to see if God was really serious. I I often wonder, and and it's just my imagination. I can't prove this, but I think it's logical if you think about it. God did not abandon Adam that day. God hadn't withdrawn from Adam that day. Adam, knowing and sensing the presence of God, still went through the process he went through, knowing that his father would stand weeping in the shadows after he had completed the act he completed. As a result of that sin, the limits of evil in our world have never reached a peak. Man's ability to create evil escalates every day. We're discovering more and more ways of creating evil. And man is not becoming a better person By the knowledge that we have obtained, we're becoming more evil people by the knowledge we have obtained. Jesus, speaking to 12 men, actually at the point that I am reading to you from out of the book of John chapter 14, there's only 11 men present. Because Judas has already slipped off into the night to find the Pharisees and to reveal to the Sanhedrin where Jesus is at. So Jesus has 11 men left in that Paschal celebration that night as they are celebrating the Passover and, and talking about deliverance and how God brought them out of Egypt and the, the, the symbol that was, the type that would be to this new covenant that He is bringing, this new relationship that He's going to share with them and, and, and this new deliverance that's here. But yet in telling them all these things that night they are not prepared for what Jesus is going to reveal to them. As He's sharing this supper with them He lets them know that before tomorrow's over I will die on a cross. They're terrified. He says let not your hearts be troubled. The literal translation says don't let your heart be terrified. These twelve men or 11 men, are are sitting here in shock because they thought that on the next day Jesus would assume the throne of David and He would reign over the kingdom of Israel and He would bring peace to the world. They weren't prepared for the fact that the next day He would go to a cross and die. They weren't ready for those words and when He starts telling them that I will die tomorrow, they are in such awe and shock and fear that he has to start comforting them, and he starts giving them the revelation of this new birth experience. Now, the Gospel of John is the last book written in the Bible. It's written somewhere between 100 and 107 AD. John, about to step into the next world, and realizing that his life will be over shortly, realizes that. There are some messages the New Testament church needs that if he doesn't write, they will not be equipped to fight the battles that will come in the future. So there's information that needs to be shared with the church that has not been shared up to this time. And so he, with pen in hand, begins to write information about Jesus to help us understand who he really was. Matthew traces the lineage of Jesus Back to Abraham. Luke traces the lineage of Jesus back to Adam. But John traces the lineage of Jesus back to God. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And we beheld His glory. The glory of the only begotten of the Father. Full of grace and truth. And the Word was made flesh. And the Word dwelt among us. If he hadn't written those words, it would have been much more difficult for the church to understand who he really was. If he hadn't written John chapter 3, we wouldn't understand the importance of baptism in the Holy Ghost because we needed that message as well. Now he's writing to let us know that the 11 men that he had trained for 3 years didn't have a clue what he was doing at the end. They had heard, but they let their preconceived ideas trap them into thinking this is not really what it's all about. This is about a kingdom. We're going to get to reign. There's going to be generals in this army. I, some want to sit on the right, some on the left. Some want to be more important than others. And in and, and Jerusalem tomorrow, Jesus will assume the throne. That's not going to happen. Death will happen the next day. And as He comforts them that evening, He reveals to them the Holy Ghost and the purpose of the Holy Ghost in the church. He reveals to them that if I go away in my Father's house, there are many... Mansions. Now, I remember a song that was sang as, as a kid in church about building me a cabin in the corner of Glory Land. I want to tell you tonight, that scripture does not say that there are cabins or palaces in heaven. That scripture is speaking about God living in human beings. In my father's house, oikos, that's family. That is not a building you live in. In my father's family, there are going to be multiple dwelling places. There's one tabernacle in Jerusalem, but there's going to come a day where your body has become the tabernacle of the Holy Ghost. And your body will house the Spirit of God as God comes to live inside of you. And when that day arrives, you will understand when I say that the Father is in me, then you'll understand that the Father's going to be in you just like He is in me. You're going to understand the infilling of the Holy Ghost when that day comes. You don't understand it right now, but let me give you some comfort. I am not going to leave you orphans. I will not leave you comfortless. I am preparing a life for you That when you enter it, I am going to empower you to do things greater than I've ever done in my life. I'm going to empower you to perform feats I haven't performed. I'm going to help you conquer things I didn't conquer. I'm going to give you power to tread on scorpions. I'm going to give you power to change your world. I'm going to give you power to walk into whatever environment you're in and change it just by your presence of being there. I'm going to give you the power to bring peace to the most chaotic environment you could possibly be in. See, the Holy Ghost, the word comforter that's used here is parakletos. Par is a preposition, kletos is a noun. It's an actually legal term. It's a term used to describe the office of the members of the Sanhedrin and the work that they did. Or the office of the, the court system of Rome and the judges that sit in those courts. It's the office or role of a mediator or one who is called in to give witness in difficult circumstances. It's... It's one who comforts the feeble heart. But the greatest definition is it's the lawyer that will defend you when you're in trouble. I'm going to place inside of you a comforter. And that comforter will give you the power to argue and defend yourself and to present evidence that will prove you are not guilty no matter what the circumstance is. I'll place that inside of you. I'll equip you with my blood so that you can erase all your sin issues. I'll give you power to change anything in life. This is what I'm going to do for you. They still were not understanding what he said. And after that next morning in his death on the cross, those 11 men scattered. And seven of them quit and went home. See, it's John chapter 21 that tells us that seven backslid and went back to their old lifestyle. Peter said, I'm going fishing. And along with Peter was James and John. And out of that group, five more showed up to go fishing with G- Peter because they thought, it's over. There's no use. We, we did everything we're supposed to do. And now he's dead. And now. There's absolutely no hope for our lives. So they all went home fishing. Jesus has to show up on the shore of Galilee that night while they're fishing and He calls to them across the water. Have you caught any fish? No. Cast your net on the other side. Not even realizing it's the voice of Jesus. That The turmoil and the grief in their life was so powerful they couldn't even recognize who Jesus is. Things can happen to you in life that can cause you to lose your ability to hear the voice of God. There can be some things that are so painful that it causes you not to even recognize that Jesus is actually there with you. I've asked, I've had people ask me a question many times why didn't God let this happen? Or how could God let this happen? If you say God loves me then why did God allow this horrible event to happen in my life? God doesn't allow things to happen to us. Human beings choose to be evil. Humans choose to do bad things to other humans. Humans wreck other humans' lives. They do that by choice. Jesus showed up on shore of Galilee and began to talk to them. And and after... The breakfast the, a fish that he prepared for them. And he convinced Peter that this is not over. Your life's not a wreck. And you didn't mess up so bad that your life can't change. Amen. Now Peter could go back to the upper room and wait for the infilling of the Holy Ghost in the book of Acts. And when the day of Pentecost came, then he could stand and preach the message of Pentecost. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. When the Holy Ghost comes in my life, it does not take over my life. It simply becomes the power and authority living in me to give me the power to do whatever I choose to do in my life. It gives me the power to change. It gives me the power to be different. It empowers me to do whatever I choose to do, but I've got to choose to participate See, God can't walk into your life and just start ripping things out and taking things out of you that He knows are damaging to your life. He can't remove those things from you. If He tries to remove them, He will damage you. He can't remove things that hurt or, or, or events that have happened that cause us incredible. He can't do that. He has to wait until we get to the point that we can open the door to our lives and invite him in to the church in Revelations that he said, you make me sick and I want to spew you out of my mouth. I want to vomit you out of you. make me I, you're, You disgust me so much. I just want to spew you out to that church. He said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and let me in, I will come in and sup with him and he with me. You see, it doesn't matter how despicable you become. He's still going to be at the door knocking. And when you finally recognize that he's at that door knocking and you invite him in, then he can empower you to change. He'll never tear the door off your life. He's not going to tear it down. There will be no crowbar. There's no battering ram. He's going to wait until you open it. And when you open it and invite him in, change can start happening. Now, I understand that God created us with some incredible abilities that often take over our lives and become hindrances to our recovery. It's in us. Part of that nature God gave us to survive. There are things that can happen in your life that can last a lifetime unless you allow God to help you remove it from your life. You'll go to your grave with it. It'll destroy the people around you. It'll cause all kinds of chaos until you're willing to turn it loose. And I've discovered working with people that some of these horrible things are defining points in people's lives. And once they've happened, they think that that's all there is to themselves. And that's all they'll ever be because that event becomes the defining point of who they are and then it dictates their life from that moment present. It doesn't matter how powerful the church is. It doesn't matter how much the Spirit of God is moving in a congregation. That message of, of life and what life has taught can become so powerful that they just simply believe it's for everybody else and not me. I can't ever be any different. I'll never be any better. I'll always be like this. And that's a lie. That's what the devil wants you to believe about your life. That is not what God has decided or defined or determined. God has determined that your life can be whole. Totally complete. Delivered. Set free. Have you ever noticed how many songs we sing about breaking chains? Anybody notice that? Uh See, that's at the forefront of everybody's mind, which indicates there's a lot of bound people. I can't read your mind. I have no clue what you think. I really don't want to know what you think. And I have begged God to never tell me. I don't want a word of knowledge or a word of wisdom. I don't want God speaking in my mind about behaviors you've committed. I I know enough. I don't need any more. I can't read. I have no clue what's going on in your life. But I have been trained to read your face. Because your face says everything about you. Your face says you're happy or you're sad. Your face says I'm listening or I'm not listening. Your face says, I don't like what he's saying. See, It doesn't take a rocket sound to figure out that I'm irritating. And and I can just watch the change on face and realize that, you know what, I just hit a nerve. And when I see that expression, that's usually where I park for a little while, if you haven't figured that out. (laughs) God give children some incredible abilities. When their little minds cannot understand the trauma that's happening around them God has given them powers to escape to another world where they're not even present where all the pain and suffering is going on. Several years ago I was at our camp meeting in Texas and this would have been middle 90s, 94, 95, and uh, maybe in 93. I was standing at the front of the service after Walter call. our auditorium there in Texas. It seats almost 10,000 people. It's 300 foot wide, 200 foot long, or 250 foot long, massive building. Platform is bigger than, this, than your auditoriums. It's huge. And, and round the side, I mean, there's all altar all the way around and I'm I'm standing around to the side. And the pastor walks up to me and says, Brother Hughes, can I talk to you for a moment? I said, sure. So we walk over around, kind of out of the way, and he said, Brother Hughes, I got a family in my lo- in my church that I really need for you to help. I said, okay. Uh, what's what's the problem? He said, well, I really don't know all the problem, uh, but you—you—they—they they need help. I can't help them. I've done all I know how to do, and we're getting nowhere. And the problems are escalating, and it's getting worse every day. So, would you mind talking to this family? I said, sure, Brother McLean. I'll be glad to talk to them. And so, I get a phone call the next week and. There's a family on the telephone, and they set up an appointment. At that time, I was part of Brother Kilgore's staff, and so I was using a church office there. And I get to church that night, and uh, these couple, this couple comes in, and I, I recognize the young man uh, because I had taught him in our Christian school. I didn't recognize his wife, little lady, not even five foot tall. She weighed, if, if she was soaking wet, she weighed 90 pounds. She's a tiny little thing, just a petite, tiny little lady. They walk in, and he's, he's, he's a moose. He's about six foot two, probably weighs 300 plus pounds. He's, he's huge. And here's this little lady and this huge giant standing here, and they come in, and he sits down on the chair, and the, the desk I'm sitting at is L-shaped. It has a credenza on top of the L-shape on this part of the desk on the left side. And that bookcase went all the way out to the front of the desk. When she sits down in her chair, she just slid it back against the wall and leaned back. I, I can't even see her. She disappeared. I know she's in the room. But I can't see her at all. So we talk for about an hour. When the hour's up and they start to leave, the husband on the way out, said, Brother Hughes, um, I think it would probably work better if you talked to us separately. I said, okay, I can do that. So the next week they came and he came in first and he sat down and he said, Now, Brother Hughes, I'm going to tell you some things about my wife that she will not be able to tell you and I don't know how long it will take before she'll ever tell you what I'm going to tell you right now. But My wife grew up In an incredibly violent family. He said she has marks on her back from being beaten with a whip that makes it look like a spider web. She's been beaten so many times. The scars are so bad that her entire back is just one massive scar. You see, I don't know the terror she's lived in, but just from the little bit I know, that terror she's lived with has been incredible. Her mom and dad are backslidden Pentecostals that had the Holy Ghost at one time. And when they backslid, dad become an alcoholic. And when dad gets drunk, dad becomes incredibly evil. And in his drunken stupor, does all kinds of horrible things to his family, to his wife, to all the children. There were seven of them. All of them have suffered the same thing from dad in his violence when he's drunk. It took the lady almost nine months before she ever trusted me enough to tell me her story. When I heard her story, I was so shocked. i I've lived an incredibly sheltered life. I, my brain cannot comprehend how a man could do any of these things to his children. That don't compute in my brain. I, I, I don't understand how parents can be so evil that they would torment and torture and, and wound their children to such an extent that their bodies carry scars for the rest of their life. I, can't, I don't understand that. When I tell you he was evil, that is a kind statement of that man. One of his daughters had a child by him that is so deformed it is in a mental institution. And when the child was born, that daughter lost her mind and is in the same institution that the child is in as of today. He not only was evil, he documented everything he did. He took photographs. At 18 years of age, her older sister presented her with a book of all the pictures of what Dad had done to her as a child. She brought it to one of the sessions and laid it on the table and opened it up. And it's a chronological, date-stamped picture of all the events that happened in her life. The first one started at six weeks. She's next to the youngest. Mother was nursing her child. Dad comes in drunk, goes into a rage, and starts screaming, You love her more than you love me. And beat her until she was unconscious, she broke her jaw, then wrapped that child up, placed mom well, on a couch. The child's laying. Beside mother, not even in mother's lap. The child is wrapped in a blanket laying beside mother. And mother's st- sitting there with her hands crossed, staring straight ahead, not looking at the camera, and her jaws hanging over the side from where it's broken. She said, Brother Hughes, there were times in my life that the evil was so horrible, I didn't know if I would survive. When she was six years of age, the local Pentecostal church started sending a Sunday school bus into her neighborhood. They lived right out at the edge of town, just out of the city limits. They lived on several acres of land, so they were isolated from everybody. But somehow, somebody found this little house with seven little kids, and they started knocking on the door, inviting them to church. And she went to church on that Sunday school bus, and mom and dad let them go. And that became her escape out of her world on a weekly basis. She started begging the Sunday school driver, take me home last. After a little while, all the other family quit going and riding the bus, but she kept riding that bus to Sunday school every Sunday morning. And the bus driver would take all the other children home, and then she'd get home last. At 12 years of age, in a Sunday school class on a Sunday morning, The Sunday school teacher taught her about the Holy Ghost. And in Sunday school class that Sunday morning, she said, Teacher, do you think Jesus would love me enough to give me the Holy Ghost? And the teacher said, Yes, God loves you as much as anybody else. Well, I want it. And in the next few moments in that Sunday school class, she received the baptism of the Holy Ghost and began to speak in other tongues. (laughs) As the Spirit... Gave the She went home that Sunday afternoon to tell Mom and Dad, I got the Holy Ghost. Mom, I got the Holy Ghost. And Mom and Dad are backslidden Pentecostals. And Mom's bitter about the church she came out of. And Mom said, there's no child of mine going to be Pentecostal. You're never going back to that church. And Dad said, you're not the boss of this house. I'm the boss of this house. And if she wants to go to church, she can go to church. And you're not going to say a thing about it. She's free to go to church. So that night she got baptized. Over the next five years of her life, she was allowed to go to church. Or four years of her life, she was allowed to go to church every Sunday morning and Sunday night. Actually, the pastor started to come by and pick her up, he and his wife, taking this little lady to church. And church was her escape. One Sunday night after service, She walks into her home to discover her dad's in one of his drunken rages. And he's beat everybody in the house. The older kids are moved out, they're gone. It's just her and her little brother that's there at this point. And he starts beating her until she's unconscious. He grabbed her by the hair of the head and he beat her face against the telephone until he broke it, screaming, call the preacher now, see if God can take you out of my hands. You will be mine the rest of your life. You're never leaving this house. And you're never going back to church again. She called her pastor the next day and said, Pastor, what do I do? Not knowing any of the problems at home because she'd never mention it to anybody. The pastor said, the Bible says to honor thy father and mother. So you've got to do what mom and dad says. If they say you can't come then you won't be able, you're, going to have to, you're under their roof. You're going to have to obey what mom and dad said. She said, okay, but what am I going to do? He said, I'm going to pray. And God's going to be with you. And you'll know that He's there. A couple of weeks later, she called him back and said, Pastor, can you get me the key to church? I have Friday afternoons free. And I'd like to walk to church on Friday afternoon. And I'll become the janitor. I'll keep the church clean from now on. So he took her key to the church the school and she carried it in her pocket. Every Friday afternoon she'd leave school about 12 o'clock. She graduated valedictorian of her high school. She had already finished all her classes before she was in the 10th grade and was just taking electives from then on. So, but she was able to take the afternoon off. And so she had walked to church on Friday afternoon and she would clean the church. After she got through cleaning the church, she'd get a hymnal and she'd go stand behind the pulpit and she'd open the hymnal and she'd find a song and she'd sing. Then after she had sang several songs from the hymnal, she'd get the Bible out and open it. She said, all I did was just read the Bible and after I'd finished reading the Bible, then I'd close the Bible and then I'd go down front to the altar and I'd worship and pray for a while and then I'd go back to school. She said, Brother Hughes, there came a point where things were so horrible I didn't think I could go another day. I said, God, if you're really real, you got to let me know. You know where I'm at. And you got to let me know. You know what I'm living in. I need you to show me You know what's going on in my life. That night, she went to bed. About 2 o'clock in the morning, she awakened to a presence in her room. And she was terrified. And she started becoming uncomfortable because she knew there was something there, but she didn't know what it was. And a voice spoke to her and said, Be not afraid, it is I. She said, The lights come on and the Lord Jesus stood in my bedroom that night and He said, these, room, this, these walls are soundproof. There's nobody in this house gonna hear what goes on in this bedroom tonight. She said, I jumped out of bed and I took an angel by the hand and me and two angels worshiped Jesus for over an hour till I was so exhausted I fell in the floor. She said, Brother Hughes, when I tell people that story, they think I'm lying. They think I have lost my mind, that I have, I have developed schizophrenia and I'm seeing things and hearing things. But Brother Hughes, I'm telling you that the Lord was in my room that, and I said, listen to me. If the Lord can take Stephen and translate him from where the chariot's at back to the town he was in before he joined the chariot, then he can show up at your house and he can be there for you to worship him. I'll believe your story I'll listen to your story. And, and over the next couple of years it happened several times. Her senior year of high school, the judge hired her to be his butler for his home. She kept his home clean. She paid his bills, bought his grocery. He became very attached to her because the, the teachers at school was telling how great a student she was and what an incredible mind she had and and her abilities to excel in school. And so the judge just gave her an opportunity. So she went to his house every afternoon and she had helped take care of his business and she was paid for her job. She graduated from high school that June and all summer long she kept going back to his home and 1st of August she showed up at his house one day and there are three sheriff's cars in the driveway and she goes in and that's not uncommon. He's the judge and so... She goes inside of the house and the judge is there and he said, come in, honey, I, I, I need you to do something. So she walks in the room where this elder judge is at and he said, come over, honey, I, I, I've got some papers I need you to fill out. She said, well, what are they? She said, he said, i I talked to the president of Ole Miss and he has given you a full scholarship and if you want to go to college, all you've got to do is fill out the papers right now and in September, in just a few weeks, you can go to school your college is going to be paid for. Your tuition will be paid for. Your room board. And they'll even give you money to spend while you're there. So you won't ever have to work. You can just go to school. And she said, oh, I can't do that. Because dad's told her, you're never going to leave this house. I'll kill you if you try to leave. You're never going to leave. She said, oh, I can't do that. He said, no, no, no. Just if you had the ability to go, just fill out the classes you'd like to take. You're getting the register for everybody else. So you got to pick up any class you want to take. So whatever you want, choose. And you have the best classes with the best teachers and just pick them out. matter of fact, I can call the President and he'll tell me what probably would be the best teachers for you. And so she sat down that day and filled out a schedule knowing, I'll never leave. A couple of weeks later, she gets back to his home in the afternoon. And he's there again at home and there's these same cars in the driveway. And she walks in. The judge says, come here, honey. And she said, okay, sir, what, what can I do for you today? He said, well, today you're going to college. She said, oh, no, I can't do it. She said, no, no, you're going to college today. So they took her out and put her in the sheriff's car. The sheriff and about six deputies drove her to her home. The sheriff walked up the front door of her house. He knocked on it with his nightstick. When Dad walked up and entered the front door, he just tapped him on the head a couple of times and put his nightstick in his chest and shoved him back in the house. And he said, sit down, sir, your daughter's going to school, and you have no say-so in what's happening here today. And so two deputies stood on either side of him, while the other four went to her bedroom and packed up all her clothes and put them in a bag, because she had no suitcases, put them in sacks from the grocery store, and they took them out and put them in the sheriff's car. And as the sheriff was walking out of that house that night, he reached over and tapped dad rather smartly on his head and said now listen to me sir if i ever hear that you cause this little lady one more moment's trouble your life is worthless it's over they you'll be buried in the woods and nobody will ever fight you hear what i'm telling you if i ever hear you've ever done anything else to this little lady your life's over and she escaped They took her to Ole Miss, put her in her dorm, and she got ready for school. She said, Brother Hughes, I had been two years without church. I had to go to church. So I got the phone book out. I had no clue where I needed to go. And I just got the phone book out, and I flipped the yellow pages open to churches, and I just got me a pencil, and I circled the first one, and I went there Sunday morning. Nope, that's not it, and I crossed that one out, and I went to the next one Sunday night. Nope, that's not it, and I circled the next one and went there Wednesday night. Nope, that's not it, and I crossed that one out, and I went to the next one Sunday morning. I, that's not it, and, you know, United's a long way down that list. <laughs> Finally, one Sunday morning, she walked in to that little United Pentecostal church, and when she walked in that church that day, she said, oh, this is it. I'm home. She said, Brother Hughes, those people thought I was crazy. The moment he said, let's stand and pray, I was running the aisles. I hadn't been in church in two years. They could sit on their hands if they wanted to. It didn't bother me. If they just gave me an opportunity to worship, I was out in the aisles. I was worshiping the Lord. I was dancing. I was shouting. They often tried to calm me down, but I just wasn't calm because I I had not had church in so long. I just wanted to be in the presence of God. She graduated from college in three years with a 4.0 average valedictorian of her class. She's a school teacher. Moved to the state of Texas and teaches children with learning disabilities and is such an incredible teacher that the school districts will pay whatever she asks just to have her on their staff because she has such an incredible gift with kids. We were sitting in the office on a Tuesday night, her husband sitting out in the vestibule. All of a sudden, at the end of last session, she starts sobbing hysterically. she's sobbing so hysterically that it's almost like she's out of control. Mucus is running out of her nose down onto the table. It appeared to me that I was looking at a little kid and a little child's voice starts talking to me. And that little voice starts saying, please don't tear my house down. Please don't tear my house down. This is the only safe place I have to live. Please, please, please don't tear my house down. If you make my house go, I'll never be safe. This is my only safe place. The hair on the back of my head stood up. I, I, I had all of our Pentecostal ideas about so many things. When we don't know what something is, it's a devil. So our first reaction is, she's full of the devil. She, she needs the devil cast out. But her pastor had told me, she's my greatest prayer warrior. She can pray anybody through the Holy Ghost. And if if somebody's sick and they ask her to pray for them, they're healed. If she tells you the Lord said something to her and she gives you a word from the Lord, you write it down. She has never missed. She has a connection to God. Then I said, I know what your problem is, Honey. She said, what? I said, you have dissociative disorder. She began to sob. She said, yeah, but everybody tries to cast the devil out because they think there's something wrong with me. So when kids can't understand what's going on in their life, they have and create the ability to escape into another world where they don't have to deal with the junk. And the problem with escaping is they have no access to that world once they leave it. And it's just a blocked memory. And they can't even recall any of the events that happened that time. She came back the next week. She said, Brother Hughes, I was praying. And the Lord said the answer to my problem is found in the book of Romans. And if you'll go read Romans chapter 8, you'll find out how to help me. It's okay. The <laughs> Lord told you. I'm going to believe you. So I went home. I got my Bible out and I read Romans 8. I didn't find nothing. I reread it. Still nothing. Read it third time. Still nothing. Read it fourth time. Still nothing. Got a different translation. Still nothing. So I thought, all right, God, you told her that the answer's here. So if that's where it's at, help me find it. And then it dawned on me. Maybe you ought to translate it, James. So I went and got my Greek text and all my books. And I set out my dining room table. My wife came in and said, honey, what are you doing? I said, I'm translating Romans chapter 8. I'm going to find an answer. It's here in this passage of Scripture, and I'm going to find it. So I started in verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them that walk uprightly in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. As I begin to translate from the original text, it dawned on me that all of this letter is written in a plural form. All the verbs are plural. All the pronouns are plural. And so it, 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 it appears it's written to everybody. And that's the way it's translated in your Bible. You do no injustice to the letter to make it personal. Because he wanted it to be a personal letter to everybody in the Roman church. So it doesn't do any injustice to translation to change all of the pronouns from third person to first person. And when you change them from third person to first person, it changes the whole context. There is therefore now no condemnation to myself when I walk uprightly. In Christ Jesus. And the answer is in verse 26 of Romans chapter 8. In Romans 8, 26, Paul gives us the key on how to uncover and unlock things that you don't have the ability to even address. Likewise, the Spirit helpeth my infirmity. When I know not what I should pray as I ought, the Spirit maketh intercessions for me with groanings which cannot be uttered. The Holy Ghost is God's tool to help you unlock every secret of your life and to heal from every condition that was produced in your life. That word helpeth is a word picture. If I had a wall across this room that went from wall to wall, floor to ceiling, there's no door in it, you can't get over it, around it, under it, or through it. And something is driven through that wall so far you can't even get a hold of it. You can see it, but you can't get a hold of it. The literal translation says to take hold of on the other side, or to take hold of a long whiff. So when there are things buried in life that you can't even remember, yet they keep coming out with flashbacks and torments and, and things you can't even put your hands on, the Holy Ghost said, all right, if you'll get caught away in my spirit, and you'll let, I know where the problems are, and if you'll let me pray through you, I'll reach over on the other side of your life, and I'll pull some things out, and I'll hand them back to you, and you'll discover deliverance for your life. She came back the next week, and I just explained to her what I said to you. Her face lit up like a light bulb. She said, oh, I've been doing that for a long time, just didn't know what I was doing. This problem is over tomorrow. I'll hire a babysitter. I'm going to go to church, and I'll stay there as long as it takes to get all this junk out of my life. So i saw her the next week. she came come in with a smile on her face. She said, Brother Hughes, it worked. It worked. You're right. That's the answer. to so what you do? I had her babysitter. I went to church. I spent about five hours in intercessory prayer. And when I walked out of there, I can give you my history from back at two years of age all the way up to where I am right now. There's no blanks in my memory. There's no walls that are keeping me from remembering things. God gave me my life back and I forgave all those events that happened to me. And She's never been tormented a day since that event because the Holy Ghost Is the power God placed in your life to heal you from whatever life does. God can't keep people from doing things to you, but God said, if you'll just let me and you'll learn how to escape into my world and you'll learn how to pray in my world, then I will be able to take hold of some things in your life that you can't even remember. And I'll just pull them out and the wound will heal and you'll never have a problem with this event one more day in your life. It'll never happen until you learn how to get lost in the Spirit of God. And when you get lost in the Holy Ghost, and it doesn't matter who's around you or who's listening, and you get caught away in His world, you allow Him to enter your world and heal all the junk that's in your world and change your life forever. Medical science says it takes 10 years for people to recover from those kind of traumatic events in their life. It took her five hours because the Holy Ghost is the answer to overcome anything that's tormenting you or causing you issues that you don't have the ability to even comprehend or get a hold of. If I can get you into His presence and you allow Him to speak through you, Andrew Newberg in studying the human brain and speaking in tongues says that when you speak in tongues the language center of your brain is not operating. The part of your brain that controls your tongue and vocal cords is not active when you speak in tongues. He says, Pentecostals say they're being moved on by God. It's the Holy Ghost that gives the utterance. And the Holy Ghost knows how to pray for things you don't know how to pray for intercessory prayer is not what you do for other people it's what you do for yourself it's when you can allow God to use His Spirit in your life and you make it personal that your life changes please stand gracious Father thank you for creating this incredibly safe place that I can come to where when I get lost in your world and I get lost in your presence, you then have the ability to walk into my world and bring healing to all the chaos that has happened in my world. God, I pray tonight that that heart that has been bruised and wounded and injured by life, that spirit that has suffered an incredible abuse, I pray tonight that they wouldn't be afraid to become vulnerable in your presence. Even though they may think they can't survive without this world to live in, they wouldn't know how to be whole. That is not true because you do all things well and you heal all manner of disease and you heal the heart and the mind and you give us a new mind and a new heart and a new relationship. That can't happen until I can learn how to get lost in your world, in your presence, in your spirit, and allow your spirit to speak through me as it speaks about and prays for the things of my life that I have no idea need to be prayed for. God, I pray tonight that your gentle spirit would invade this place that we wouldn't be afraid to open our hearts and let some of those issues go that seems to torment us and cause such incredible trauma. I, I pray, Lord, that we feel safe enough to invite you in and say, Jesus, take me by the hand. Walk with me through the corridors of my mind to all those doors that are locked that I have trouble opening memories that keep getting blocked that I, I don't have access to Lord would you stand there and hold my hand would you reach over on the other side and would you pull out whatever that wound was or injury that's been lodged in my spirit and would you give it back to me so that I can forgive it and release it and let it go so that my life can be whole in the name of Jesus in the name of Jesus so be it In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. The healers in the house, if your mind is tormented tonight, I invite you to come to these altars. I invite you into His presence. I invite you to get lost in His spirit. When you get lost in that presence, there is nothing that God cannot do for you at that moment because you've entered His world and then you have invited Him into your world. But when the two worlds meet, it allows Him to bring total and complete healing to the mind in a way that we would think wouldn't even be possible. He's here tonight. Would you respond to what you're feeling? Don't be afraid. If if you need to leave and be excused, I release you to go. But if you stay here tonight, I want you to create an atmosphere of praise because God desires to do some incredible things in some people's lives. There, there's some people going to walk away from this place tonight with their lives totally changed. They'll never be tormented. There'll never be another flashback. There'll never be another memory. There'll never be another day of torment in their life because they're going to walk away healed because the power of God is in this place. The power of God is in this place tonight. His Spirit is walking among us. And if you'll open your heart and you'll invite Him in, I promise you that He'll walk into your heart. He'll walk into your life. And you'll walk away transformed tonight by the power of His Spirit. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Gracious Father, we worship You today. We thank You today, Jesus. I worship you, Jesus. I worship you, Jesus. I worship you, Jesus. na Oh, my I
0: found
1: the You're not You're not